0: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care.
1: it's thursday february 17th 2022 the 393rd day of dystopia i'm your moderator chris paul let's be reasonable so we were talking quite a bit about covid yesterday and i figured i would pick up where we left off because the nazi doctor anthony fauci crawled out out of his little hole and went back on television for some reason. And he was joined by his former quote unquote boss at the NIH, Francis Collins. Now we could get lucky because the trajectory right now is going way down. And it very well may be that if you take masks off the kids in the next week or so it's going to keep going down. But you've really got to be careful. You know, you don't want to say it's an absolutely wrong decision. It's understandable why people want to take masks off the kids. But right now, given the level of activity that we have, it is risky. There we have it. It is risky to remove a mitigation technique that doesn't work and is child abuse. So once again, the oracle of the science is not following the science. At some point, you would think that the parents of the world would actually want people like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and Leanna Wen and all of the other communist child abusers on cable television to point them to a case where there was a school outbreak anywhere. There haven't been. And there were places that kept their schools fully open throughout the pandemic. Or you would think that they might even point To some legitimate studies that say masks do something, but there are none of those studies. So they have nothing to point to. They just have to reinforce the idea that all of this stuff that we did, everything we went through was for some purpose, that they were right about the science when they said it. It turned out that it didn't really work out, but they're still right about the science now. They have never been right. Not about anything. There's not a single mitigation strategy that they employed that was successful in any way. And that is right up to and including the vaccine. And it's becoming really hard to think they have any goal other than convincing the small, vocal, insane group of people who are still following their commands that they've been right all along, that they are still Morally righteous for doing what they're doing to these children, and that they're justified in acting even crazier. They imagine themselves, they imagine that they are under attack from everyone else, that everyone else is doing this thing that's going to get all their kids killed. How can anyone believe that anymore? There's an interesting piece today out of Scotland in the Glasgow Times. COVID data will not be published over concerns. It's misrepresented by anti-vaxxers. Public Health Scotland will stop publishing data on COVID deaths and hospitalizations by vaccination status over concerns. It is misrepresented by anti-vax campaigners. The public health watchdog announced the change in policy in its most recent COVID statistical report saying the frequency and content of the data would be reviewed. Instead, officials will focus on publishing more robust and complex vaccine effectiveness data. PHS officials said significant concerns about data being misused deliberately by anti-vaccination campaigners is behind the move. The report published on Wednesday will be the last weekly publication to include data on infection rates among the vaccinated and unvaccinated. It also includes hospitalization and death rates broken down by the number of doses received. Officials said two issues relating to the unvaccinated population and testing habits meant the data was no longer robust and open for misinterpretation without context. The population data used for the unvaccinated population is based on GP registration details, meaning it includes people who are registered but may not live in Scotland. (laughs) Yes, that's the problem with your data. As the unvaccinated population grows, this flaw in the data becomes more pronounced due to the true number of unvaccinated people being much lower than the number used. One PHS official said focusing on vaccine effectiveness rather than the existing very simple statistics would result in much more robust data for the public. They said that the main important point around all of the analysis is we understand whether the vaccines are working against catching it, and against getting severe COVID. And that's where the vaccine effectiveness studies come in, which are a completely different methodology. The case rates, hospitalization rates, and death rates are very simple statistics. Whereas for the vaccine effectiveness studies, we use modeling. We compare people who have tested negative to those who have tested positive and match them on their underlying comorbidities. And I think that person probably meant underlying, but this is kind of incredible, right? So, They want to understand whether the vaccines are effective against infection of the coronavirus and whether or not you get a severe case. And rather than just figuring out how many people are coming in with infections or severe cases who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated, those simple numbers are no longer good enough. Now they have to model its effectiveness because those simple numbers would lead people to the conclusion that the vaccines don't work. The simple numbers, AKA real numbers would indicate to people that being unvaccinated is not at all dangerous to them. And we can't have that because that's the sort of point that anti-vaxxers could use as a reason Why not to participate in a medical experiment that requires being injected with an unknown substance that so far has had absolutely terrible results? Did it make COVID go away? No. In fact, it created more COVID because the vaccine can't actually immunize you. So the virus mutates. That's what we're told and we know from earlier studies in England that they can't actually distinguish between the symptoms of covid and the symptoms of the vaccine and of course we've known throughout this entire time that you are counted as unvaccinated if you are not up to date on your vaccine subscription and even with that caveat the vaccine is performing terribly, which is why they have to get rid of these numbers. They don't want the public to actually know what the real thing is. So they're going to say, we have, an, we have a much smarter and more scientific way to present this data to you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build a model that's going to show you that the vaccine is actually very effective, despite the fact that the simple numbers show it's not. And maybe their models will be as good as the COVID projections they had from the very beginning with Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College in London, who said that we are all going to die. And so we'd better lock down the entire world. And so he made his little calculations and we locked down the entire world. And it turns out that lockdowns were probably one of the greatest crimes against humanity that has ever been inflicted. And of course, we know it didn't work. So it was really only downside. Same thing with the masks. But that's not going to stop Fauci from putting them on your kids. The data has been promoted on social media by the American right wing opinion website, The Blaze and anti-vaxxer American talking head Alex Berenson. The PHS told the Scotsman what is happening is people are looking at those simple data and trying to make inferences about the vaccination, whether the vaccines work inappropriately and sometimes willfully. There are so many caveats and they just pull certain figures out that should not be used. What we are going to do is a lot more on the vaccine effectiveness side and try to make people understand how effective the vaccine is. For example, we know it is 50% effective against getting infected, but that it is much higher effectiveness against hospitalizations and deaths, which is the key thing, really, as that's what we want to prevent. So it's strange that they didn't bother explaining what about the interpretation of of the simple data, was wrong. They just said that right-wingers believe it and anti-vaxxers believe it. Therefore, it has to be wrong because it adds fuel to their fire. And I would be totally open to hearing their argument about how those statistics aren't reliable and aren't the right statistics to be looking at, except they don't present one. And you might have the thought, yeah, but there must be one. They're just not putting it in this article. They must have They must have a legitimate explanation for what they're trying to do. And yeah, that's the right point to make. And I would give that point more credence if the rest of what we know wasn't the case, right? They initially told us the vaccine was going to prevent infection. It doesn't. They told us it was going to prevent transmission. Of course, it doesn't. They told us it was going to prevent serious illness and death. It doesn't. They told people that getting vaccinated would allow people to take the masks off. That didn't happen. We've been told the unvaccinated are dying from COVID at a higher rate. That's not true. And we continue to be told that despite all of that, the vaccines are very safe and effective because they prevent serious illness and death from Omicron. But Omicron doesn't cause serious illness or death almost ever, especially when people Don't go into the hospital to receive treatment and don't get put on the hospital death protocol, which is remdesivir and a ventilator. And it's kind of stunning that any news organization would put out an article like this and think that people will just accept the story they're telling. We need to make this change so that the anti-vaxxers don't mess up our whole program. The only kinds of people who would believe that what's happening right there is the science are the sorts of people who really do want to see everyone else silenced just so that they don't have to be contested in their opinions anymore, right? The overstate, the global communists, the people running things and controlling the means of censorship, they have legitimate goals about how they're trying to suppress and oppress certain parts of society so that they can actually implement their plan without any pushback. It kind of makes sense for them to do what they're doing for them to want the censorship because it makes it easier for them to initiate the great reset in full. But all of the child brains that are still following along with all this nonsense, they don't even have that goal. They just want everyone else to be wrong so that they don't have to feel wrong anymore. These people are insane. And speaking of censorship, YouTube's CEO, Susan Wojcicki, is demanding more censorship. Our our recommendation, if governments want to have more control over online speech, is to, to pass laws, to have that be very cleanly and clearly defined such that we can implement it. There are times that we see the laws being implemented or, or being suggested that they um, they 're not necessarily clean or possible for us to cleanly interpret them um, and we 've also seen sometimes there's laws passed just for the internet as opposed to for all speech um, and I, I do think that 's a dangerous area when we start to get in and say, "Oh sure, you could say something like this in a magazine or on TV, but you can't say it on the internet she's literally encouraging essentially ending the first amendment in multiple ways. She doesn't want people to be able to say things on television or in print either. She's talking about online television and print. She wants clear rules of what's not allowed to be said. And she wants the government to do this so that it's not YouTube's responsibility and that YouTube can no longer get in trouble for censoring people's speech in coordination with the government, violating people's First Amendment rights as a state actor. That is what she's going for. And this seems like a pretty fair parallel of the strategy that they were using with H.R. 1. They used all of these illegal and unconstitutional techniques to drum up the fake vote they needed to pretend that Joe Biden won. And then as soon as the new Congress went into session, they put together this law that would make all of the illegal and unconstitutional things they did legal now so that no one would be able to complain about them. It sounds like that is what YouTube is asking the government for. They already know they have censored. They already know they have censored at the request of government officials. All of that is a violation of First Amendment rights. All of that is the subject matter of open lawsuits right now, including Donald Trump's lawsuits against big tech, the class action suits, but she's asking for more censorship. And obviously YouTube is down with the censorship regime. But what about those platforms that aren't? What if the government makes laws that they have to censor? It sounds like that's where she's going, because the greatest threat to the prominence of any of these social media platforms is the introduction of free speech on other platforms that they can't take down. And it sounds like they might be getting pretty worried about Truth Social, to be honest. I'm actually on there now on the beta version. So far, it is basically just a Twitter clone or a Getter clone or parlor. It's just exactly like those apps so far. And I still expect it to be quite a bit more than that. But for now, that's what it is. If you have the beta version, if you joined the trial... And received your invite. I'm at I'm your moderator on there, of course. But back to COVID for a second. Texas's attorney general filed yesterday. He sued the Biden administration again. He sued them like 20 plus times and he's winning like crazy. It's fantastic. He sued them over illegal airline and airport mask mandates. And this is the statement his office put out. Attorney General Ken Paxton... Alongside the Texas Public Policy Foundation, on behalf of Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, sued the Biden administration for its illegal mask mandate for airlines and airports. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's mandate was unlawfully issued. It was not authorized by Congress, and the CDC did not put the mandate up for notice and comment, which is ordinarily required for regulations like this. Yet a person's failure to comply with the administration's mask mandate carries criminal penalties. And this is a quote from Paxton. Biden's repeated disregard of the individual liberties of Texans is not only disrespectful to the U.S. Constitution. It is also troublesome that any president thinks they can act above the law while hardworking Americans stand by. President Biden cannot continue governing through executive edicts. Now is the time to strike down his administration's air travel mask mandate. I'm proud to stand alongside my friend, Congresswoman Van Dyne and her counsel at TPPF to protect Texans liberty and the rule of law. And I can only hope that this happens quickly and is decided properly because getting rid of the mask mandate in airports and on airplanes would be fan. Fantastic. And all of those maskies and vaxies and commies who are still enraged about all of this, the kinds of people who are like, yeah, don't let them say the real facts that will prove the vaccine doesn't work. Those people, those people's heads are going to explode when they go through the airport and on the airplane. And now they can't say anything to anyone else who's not wearing a mask. Oh, it would be wonderful. And it's coming, of course, because it is illegal and it's ridiculous. I can't believe any of us have put up with this at all. Now, Anthony Blinken, the illegitimate Secretary of State, went to the UN today to try to convince the world once again that there is an imminent war breaking out between Russia and Ukraine, even though Russian officials are making fun of the US and the West on Twitter, like honestly just mocking Biden. And the NATO countries and how ridiculous it is that they're pretending a war is about to start. And even Ukraine's President Zelensky the other day declared yesterday would be a unity day in Ukraine, even though that was supposed to be the launch of the very deadly attack that was definitely going to happen, according to all of the illegitimate officials in the fake administration, many of whom were involved in the Russia hoax. So, this is Zero Hedge. Blinken lays out Russian false flag chemical attack claims in dramatic UN Security Council speech. In a dramatic address to the UN Security Council in New York on Thursday, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. He referenced evidence though without detailing it, that Russia is, quote, moving toward an imminent invasion of Ukraine. He then called on the Kremlin to, quote, announce today with no qualification, equivocation or deflection that Russia will not invade Ukraine End quote, urging further to, quote, State it clearly, state it plainly to the world and then demonstrate it by sending your troops, your tanks, your planes back to their barracks and hangars and sending your diplomats to the negotiating table. Say it, say it. All right, I'll say it. It's actually hilarious in a very sad way. By the way, I don't want the U.S. to be in a secondary position to any nation, least of all Russia, but the situation is Is what it is at this point because we have an illegitimate administration. And I used to talk about this back when the illegitimate administration began. It is fine that the 30% of the dumbest Americans believe that Joe Biden really got 81 million real legal American votes. That's okay, right? And it's okay that our media says all of that. And it's okay that those people believe that. We get it. All right. You believe it. You accepted the central narrative, even though it doesn't make any sense, even though they can't prove it, even though they fight to get all the unconstitutional and illegal measures that they use to steal the election incorporated into law. And even though the administration can't successfully do anything and now finds itself with historically low approval ratings among basically everyone to the point where they know they're going to get wiped out in the fall if they don't dramatically shift the narrative and the best way to do that is war. All of that aside, there is absolutely no way that at any time, any time, world leaders have actually believed that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. And if you believe that the rest of the world... Especially people like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping don't know that Biden is illegitimate, you are absolutely insane. Not everyone in the world gets their news from corporate media in America and the UK and Western Europe and Australia. And you can be damn sure that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. Don't get their information on what's going on in American politics from the Washington Post and CNN. Do you think they're unaware of the color revolutions being staged around the world? Of course, they're not. They know about it. You think they're unaware about all of the vulnerabilities in the U.S. voting system that were placed there on purpose by people they're familiar with? Like George Soros, you think that they can't see he does this stuff all over the world? Their intelligence agencies can't figure that out. We pretend that saying the election was definitely stolen is somehow a controversial position. It's not. It's only controversial among people who don't know anything and hate Donald Trump or people who were involved in stealing it. They, of course, would say it, too. But they know better. So do all our politicians in office, and so do all of the politicians all around the world. It doesn't really matter what they say. He gave the speech soon on the heels of Biden telling reporters in unprepared remarks that his sense is that Russia will invade Ukraine, quote, within the next several days. And Biden bumbled out there to let everyone know that Russia was going to have a false flag event. Back to the article, and this is Antony Blinken. The information I presented here is validated by what we've seen unfolding in plain sight before our eyes for months. Now, plain sight before our eyes for months has been the fake administration's foreign policy community lying to our faces and being wrong about everything. And that happened way before the Russia and Ukraine stuff started. That was the same With the Afghanistan stuff and everything else. Back to Blinken. And remember that while Russia has repeatedly derided our warnings and alarms as melodrama and nonsense, they've been steadily amassing more than 150,000 troops on Ukraine's borders, as well as the capabilities to conduct a massive military assault. It isn't just us seeing this. Allies and partners see the same thing. Got it. As if anticipating that all the latest White House timeline specific predictions will once again not materialize, Blinken added the key caveat in the U.N. address, quote, If Russia doesn't invade Ukraine, then we will be relieved that Russia changed course and proved our predictions wrong. He followed with, we'll gladly accept any criticism that anyone directs at us. (laughs) And by gladly accept, he must mean that Jen Psaki will go into the press room and say that everyone else besides them is wrong. Russia says it's drawing down those forces, he said. We do not see that happening on the ground. Our information indicates clearly that these forces, including ground troops, aircraft, ships are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. Given the UN Security Council setting, Blinken specifically claimed that Russia at this point doesn't just represent a threat to Ukraine, but to every country in the world. This crisis directly affects every member of this council and every country in the world because the basic principles that sustain peace and security – Principles that were enshrined in the wake of two world wars and the Cold War are under threat. The principle that one country cannot change the borders of another by force, Blinken said. He is literally arguing for the U.S. to be the world's policeman. And this is one of the exact arguments that people who considered themselves liberals for basically all of my life used to be on board with. We don't start foreign conflicts on the other side of the globe just because we don't like what's going on there. We don't send American blood and treasure over to the other side of the globe to protect another country's border when the country whose border we're meant to be protecting says its border is in no danger. It would be like walking up on the street to a stranger and smacking them in the face. And then they're like, what the hell is that for? Oh, man, I could have sworn there was a bee there. I was just trying to protect you. Back to the article. He still held out the possibility for diplomacy, appealing directly to his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov. These meetings can pave the way for a summit of key leaders in the context of de-escalation to reach understandings on our mutual security concerns, he said. But possibly the most sensational and dramatic part of Blinken's speech was his repeating the recent White House claims that Russia is planning a false flag attack as a pretext for invasion. Here's what the world can expect to see unfold. In fact, it's unfolding right now, today. First, Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. He specified that this Russian manufactured pretext could come in the form of a fake or real attack using chemical weapons. And that's a new one. That is a narrative advancement. They must have gotten more intel about what Russia was going to do even better Intel than Ned price had a week or so ago when he made all of these claims and then was challenged by a reporter and didn't actually have any Intel or any evidence that any of what he was saying was true. But it seems now they've decided that Russia's not just going to film some false flag video that they're going to distribute to the world and convince the world that there was a very deadly attack and now they must make war. Now they're going to launch a real or fake chemical attack. And I wonder what a false flag chemical attack looks like. (laughs) Are they just going to go in there and start vaccinating kids? He described the alarming alleged scenarios. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia. The invented discovery of the mass grave a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real, attack using chemical weapons. This false flag narrative had already been previewed by the White House weeks ago when Jen Psaki said, as part of its plans, Russia's laying out the groundwork to have the option of fabricating a pretext for invasion. We have information that indicates Russia has already pre positioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. The operatives are trained in urban warfare and in using explosives to carry out acts of sabotage against Russia's own proxy forces. And so, really, they're just listing basically anything that could happen that they would say, Oh, that's the false flag attack we told you about. And the article links to the Matt Lee and Ned Price interaction last week. I played that on the podcast. You can go back and find that if you're not certain what I'm talking about. And he goes on. However, we've not entered Alex Jones territory as Lee hilariously charged. That's Matt Lee, the reporter questioning Ned Price. Given that as of this latest UN Security Council address, it's more like Colin Powell territory. And he's talking, of course, about when Colin Powell held up the little vial in the UN Security Council meeting that he said could be filled with anthrax and just this much anthrax, it's so dangerous. So now we need to start a 20-year-long pointless war that will just bankrupt the nation and kill tons of our best young men. Gosh, the communist deep state, they make such compelling arguments. When pressed for evidence by a journalist immediately after the speech, Blinken waved his hand and shrugged off the demand for proof or any level of specific sourcing. As if anticipating Iraq war comparisons, Blinken had said in his Thursday speech, some have called into question our information, recalling previous instances where intelligence ultimately did not bear out. But let me be clear. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. Well, that doesn't at all answer the question of Whether or not your intelligence that you claim you have is legitimate in any way. In fact, it only attempts to deter from that question, which is why you said it, Anthony. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign ministry has again asserted no Russian invasion into Ukraine. The U.S. and its allies have been talking about since autumn has taken place or is planned. And interestingly, words like cherry-picking intelligence are once again entering the lexicon. Here we go again. And it's incredible how foolish the fake administration is now looking on the world stage. They just keep making prediction after prediction after prediction because they're trying to actually do this stuff, and it doesn't seem to be working. None of it is working. And obviously, I can't say with certainty that nothing is going to happen and that, The fake administration won't be able to wag the dog into a fake war, but it sure doesn't seem like they're able to. They've been failing an awful lot, and it's possible that that narrative is collapsing and they may be preparing to move on. They might just declare Joe Biden the winner, that there is no war, that tensions have been resolved. It seems like that's what they want, but Russia has rejected all of their proposals, They're trying to get some sort of win on paper over Russia by forcing Russia and Vladimir Putin to make some concessions to the U.S. and to NATO. But he responded to their request today, and it was basically the opposite. He basically said, no, I'm not taking your deal. Instead, what you're going to do is pull all of your troops out of Eastern Europe. And that's the sort of thing that you would do if you think you have an extremely strong upper hand in the negotiations, which Putin might at this point, or if you really are prepared to escalate to a real conflict. And that seems unlikely to me. It would be a foreign policy disaster of magnificent proportions if after all of this, Biden and the NATO allies were actually forced to pull back from their position. Not only do they not get the conflict they want, they don't get the narrative result they want. Instead, they actually fail even harder. That would really be something. Now, there's an interesting piece in Project Syndicate this week, and I have called Project Syndicate before the mouthpiece of global communism. And this is like the George Soros side of the global communism. This is like basically the Atlantic, but even more that it's all for the real hip Global elitists. And this is from Monday by Brahma Chalini. America is focusing on the wrong enemy. Much of the democratic world would like the United States to remain the preeminent global power, but with the U.S. apparently committed to strategic overreach, that outcome risks becoming unlikely. The problem with America's global leadership begins at home. Hyperpartisan politics and profound polarization are eroding American democracy and impeding the pursuit of long term objectives in foreign policy. The partisan divide can be seen in perceptions of potential challengers to the U.S. According to a March 2021 poll, Republicans are most concerned about China, while Democrats worry about Russia above all. This may explain why U.S. President Joe Biden is treating a, quote, rogue Russia as a peer competitor when he should be focused on the challenge from America's actual peer, China. In comparison to Russia, China's population is about 10 times bigger. Its economy is almost 10 times larger, and its military expenditure is around four times greater. Not only is China more powerful, it genuinely seeks to supplant the U.S. as the preeminent global power. By contrast, with its military buildup on Ukraine's borders, Russia is seeking to mitigate a perceived security threat in its neighborhood. Hastening the decline of U.S. global leadership is hardly the preserve of Democrats. A bipartisan parade of U.S. leaders has failed to recognize that the post-Cold War unipolar world order characterized by unchallenged U.S. economic and military predominance is long gone. The U.S. squandered its unipolar moment, especially by waging an expensive and amorphous global war on terrorism, including several military interventions and through its treatment of Russia. After its Cold War victory, the U.S. essentially took an extended victory lap, pursuing strategic maneuvers that flaunted its dominance. Notably, it sought to expand NATO to Russia's backyard, but made little effort to bring Russia into the Western fold as it had done with Germany and Japan after World War II. The souring of relations with the Kremlin contributed to Russia's eventual remilitarization. So while the U.S. remains the world's foremost military power, it has been stretched thin by the decisions and commitments it has made in Europe and elsewhere since 1991. This goes a long way toward explaining why the U.S. has ruled out deploying its own troops to defend Ukraine today. What the U.S. is offering Ukraine, weapons and ammunition, cannot protect the country from Russia, which has an overwhelming military advantage. One might ask why we're doing it then. But U.S. leaders made another fatal mistake since the Cold War. By aiding China's rise, they helped to create the greatest rival their country has ever faced. Unfortunately, they have yet to learn from this. Instead, the U.S. continues to dedicate insufficient attention and resources to an excessively wide array of global issues, from Russian revanchism and Chinese aggression to lesser threats in the Middle East and Africa and on the Korean Peninsula. And it continues inadvertently to bolster China's global influence, not least through its overuse of sanctions. For example, by barring friends and allies from importing Iranian oil two successive U.S. administrations enabled China not only to secure oil at a hefty discount, but also to become a top investor in and security partner of the Islamic Republic. Well, it's so good that Joe Biden wants to do a new deal with Iran, isn't it? U.S. sanctions have similarly pushed resource rich Myanmar into China's arms as Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen, whose country has faced a U.S. arms embargo over its ties to China, asked last year, if I don't rely on China, who will I rely on? Now, just for a pause, if you remember back when the Afghanistan withdrawal was unraveling and collapsing. And Joe Biden basically ceded Afghanistan to China by giving up Bagram and essentially turning all of Afghanistan over to the Taliban. George Soros himself tweeted out that Xi Jinping was now the greatest threat to the world order or something similar. And he kind of gave a new version of that just a couple of weeks ago. So it seems that the George Soros wing of the global communist world order agenda is having some friction with the Chinese Communist Party wing. And the mention of Myanmar is especially interesting because we know that they tried to stage a color revolution in Myanmar and that Myanmar's military has deposed the Illegitimate leader who is the Myanmar version of Joe Biden and equally connected to Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. So back to the article, and remember the question was if I don't rely on China, who will I rely on? Russia has been asking itself the same question. Though Russia and China kept each other at arm's length for decades, U.S.-led sanctions introduced after Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea drove President Vladimir Putin to pursue a closer strategic partnership with China. The bilateral relationship is likely to deepen, regardless of what happens in Ukraine. But the raft of harsh new sanctions the U.S. has promised to implement in the event of a Russia invasion will accelerate this shift significantly, with China as the big winner. The heavy financial penalties the U.S. has planned, including the nuclear option of disconnecting Russian banks from the international SWIFT payment system, would turn China into Russia's banker, enabling it to reap vast profits and expand the international use of its currency, the renminbi. If Biden fulfilled his pledge to block the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which is set to deliver Russian supplies directly to Germany via the Baltic Sea, China would gain greater access to Russian energy. And it's funny that the nuclear option for Biden is removing Russia from the SWIFT system, even though Russia and China have been making moves to get out of the SWIFT system and get out from underneath the American dollar as the world's. Reserve currency, the central bank currency. And you wouldn't be crazy to wonder if that issue itself is what all of this is actually about. What would happen to the central bank system if somehow Russia and China just weren't a part of it anymore? We've already got El Salvador down there jumping fully aboard the Bitcoin train and basically just making fun of everybody else who isn't. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on as it develops. In fact, by securing a commitment from Putin this month to a nearly tenfold increase in Russian natural gas exports, China is building a safety net that could, in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, withstand Western energy sanctions and even a blockade. China could also benefit militarily by demanding greater access to Russian military technology in exchange for its support. And you got to love that the Soros mouthpiece is talking about a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Recall that Donald Trump has said many times in interviews over the last couple of months that he expects the China-Taiwan issue to rise to the surface after the Olympics. The Olympics end this weekend. And after this weekend, we're going to see some motion on a couple of stories. The China-Taiwan story will be one of them. And whatever the new disease that they have going on in China right now will be another one as they attempt to maybe convince the world that there is a much deadlier virus out there. So we all must mask up. You should be prepared to watch how people like Anthony Fauci and the rest of the formal public health community begin to respond and begin to set up future narratives over the coming weeks. In regards to the thing that they're calling an Ebola like hemorrhagic virus in China right now for the U.S., a strengthened Russia China axis is the worst possible outcome of the Ukraine crisis. The best outcome would be a compromise with Russia to ensure that it does not invade and possibly annex Ukraine. By enabling the U.S. to avoid further entanglement in Europe, this would permit a more realistic balancing of key objectives, especially checking Chinese aggression in the Indo-Pacific with available resources and capabilities. The future of the U.S.-led international order will be decided in Asia, and China is currently doing everything in its power to ensure that order's demise. Already, China is powerful enough that it can host the Winter Olympics even as it carries out a genocide against Muslims in the Xinjiang region with limited pushback. If the Biden administration does not recognize the true scale of the threat China poses and adopt an appropriately targeted strategy soon, whatever window of opportunity for preserving U.S. preeminence remains well close. Now, this is silly, just ridiculous, this article on multiple levels. But nothing in this article is more ridiculous than the idea that Joe Biden is somehow in a position to take on China to go toe-to-toe with Xi Jinping. Joe Biden is one of the most compromised politicians that has ever existed in history. There's all the stuff we already know about Joe and Hunter Biden's dealings in China. And there is good reason to believe that some of these dealings were with Xi Jinping himself. And I will soon be having... Garrett Ziegler back onto the podcast so that he can begin to explain all of this as his report should be coming out soon. thought it would be out by now, but he keeps finding more stuff. I mean, the chain of corruption and compromise that extends from the Biden family is so long that you can actually just never stop uncovering new stuff. And that's what the delay on the report is. But we will be seeing that soon from Marco Polo. And in the meantime, they're dropping little bits and pieces out that are getting picked up by the Daily Mail and Breitbart and the Blaze and the New York Post. And we're going to continue seeing this as we go along. Joe Biden is the last possible American president that could ever attempt to stand up to China. Joe Biden is beyond how clownish and demented and corrupt he is, Joe Biden on his best day wouldn't have been able to stand up to China. The idea that the tag team of Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, who helped initiate the Russiagate hoax and Ned Price and Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin, those are the guys you expect to successfully stand up to China? Of course not. And so I share this article to illustrate what might be the beginning of a narrative shift. And that's something to keep an eye on. But regarding the payment systems, that has to be a big part of what you consider when you hear about any of this stuff going on in the world right now. Because the central banking financial system that we're all used to doesn't seem to be doing so well. And it seems more every day like they consider crypto a massive threat. And this is also part of the Great Reset, as we'll see in a second. They do want to have control over your finances. They do want to be able to prevent you from spending your money if they decide that you are. Not the sort of person that should be allowed to spend money. As crazy as that sounds, that's what's happening in Canada right now. And this is Christia Friedland being asked a question about exactly that, about the accounts they're freezing, which they're justifying on the basis that the truckers are domestic terrorists. So you're confirming
0: that accounts have been frozen, both personal and corporate, but you're not releasing the information. And the actual
1: follow-up is, um, I'm just wondering whether the bank accounts will be targeted of individuals who donated to the Give, Send, Go and the GoFundMe campaigns. Are they considered designated people under the Emergencies Act, meaning that their credit cards could be cut and financial services are targeting them as well?
0: Okay, so the names of both individuals and entities as well as crypto wallets, have been shared by the RCMP with financial institutions. And accounts have been frozen, and more accounts will be frozen. Uh, Crowdfunding platforms and payment service providers have started the registration process with FinTrack. Uh, In terms of the specifics on whose accounts are being frozen, uh, you now have the regulations. The financial service providers have those regulations as well. And they, working with law enforcement, will be making the operational decisions.
1: So the Canadians have basically given themselves the ability to stop anyone they want from spending money Especially when donating to the truckers to support their effort to get Canada's ridiculous COVID restrictions removed. And and you might be interested to know who Christia Freeland actually is. This is from The Globe and Mail in March of 2017. Freeland knew her grandfather was editor of Nazi newspaper. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland knew for more than two decades that her maternal Ukrainian grandfather was the chief editor of a Nazi newspaper in occupied Poland that vilified Jews during the Second World War. Miss Freeland's family history has become a target for Russian forces seeking to discredit one of Canada's highly placed defenders of Ukraine. And again, March 2017, Miss Freeland, who has paid tribute to her maternal grandparents in articles and books, helped edit a scholarly article in the Journal of Ukrainian Studies in 1996 that revealed her grandfather, Michael Komiak, was a Nazi propagandist for Krakivsky Visti, Krakow News. Krakivsky Visti was set up in 1940 by the German army and supervised by German intelligence officer Emil Gasser. Its printing presses and offices were confiscated by the Germans from a Jewish publisher who was later murdered at the Belzec concentration camp. And the article goes on. If you want to read it, it's March 7th, 2017, in the Globe and Mail. But we have Christia Friedland, whose grandfather was a Nazi propagandist, Justin Trudeau, whose actual dad is Fidel Castro, and both of them are good buddies. With George Soros. And right now, they are implementing the strategies of their forefathers. George Soros doesn't need to implement the strategies of his forefathers. George Soros himself was involved in figuring out which of his neighbors should be loaded onto the train cars. And that is not a joke, by the way. He has said that in an interview with 60 Minutes, which you can find easily. Go to the information stream t.me slash I'm your moderator and just use the little search feature and type in Soros 60 Minutes. And I know people think it's inflammatory to make these historical comparisons. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to think it's crazy, you should at least be able to point out how, since it is the descendants of the same exact Nazis and communists and fascists, and they are doing the same things. And so you got to have a better response than, well, you know, you're just not allowed to say that. And it turns out it's just really hard to find anyone that has a better response than that. It might be time to consider that it is just the truth right in front of you and you should accept it for what it is. And there's actually more today on governmental attempts to control All currency and all financial activity of its citizens. This is from Reuters FBI to form Digital Currency Unit Justice Department taps new crypto czar. And isn't it great that we kept the word czar around? The U.S. Justice Department has tapped a seasoned computer crimes prosecutor to lead its new national cryptocurrency enforcement team and announced on Thursday that the FBI is launching a unit for blockchain analysis and virtual asset seizure. The creation of the FBI's virtual asset exploitation unit comes after the Justice Department's largest ever financial seizure earlier this month. It charged a married New York couple with allegedly laundering Bitcoins now valued at over four point five billion dollars that were stolen in the 2016 hack of the digital currency exchange Bitfinex. U.S. regulators under President Joe Biden have been ratcheting up their scrutiny of the crypto industry in the wake of a series of high profile cyber attacks last year on the largest U.S. fuel pipeline and the world's largest beef supplier. Ransomware groups often demand their fees in Bitcoin, and we have to assume that they're telling the truth about those hacks and that it wasn't just our corrupt intelligence agencies doing those hacks, making them look like they were routed through Russia and then just laundering the money. In some cases, the FBI has been able to track down and recover some of the ransom. Wow, they are just so good at their job. Cryptocurrencies rely on blockchain technology, a database shared across a network of computers in which records are difficult to change once added. In a speech at the Munich Cybersecurity Conference in Germany, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco. Man, we hear her name a lot lately. I wonder if we're going to start hearing it way more. We will. She announced that uh, Yun Young Choi, a prosecutor who led the case against a Russian hacker who helped steal information about more than 80 million JP Morgan Chase company customers will lead the department's cryptocurrency enforcement team. Choi, who most recently served as Monaco's senior counsel, worked for nearly a decade as a cybercrime coordinator and assistant U.S. attorney in New York, according to her LinkedIn profile. We are issuing a clear warning to criminals who use cryptocurrency to fuel their schemes, Monaco said. We also call on all companies dealing with cryptocurrency. We need you to root out cryptocurrency abuses. To those who do not, we will hold you accountable where we can. Monaco also announced the creation of a new international virtual currency initiative and said the department will be aggressive about disrupting cyber threats, even at the risk of tipping off cyber criminals and jeopardizing potential charges. Moving forward, prosecutors, agents and analysts will now assess at each stage of the cyber investigation whether to use disruptive actions against cyber threats, even if they might otherwise tip the cyber criminals off and jeopardize the potential for charges and apprehension. She said. But don't worry, it's probably insane for me to connect these things in this way. Again, I'm a conspiracy theorist. They are probably just looking out for everybody's best interest here. And that's why we trust the Department of Justice under the fake administration who stole an election so much. That Department of Justice who called parents that want to stand up and speak in favor of their kids' well-being in school board meetings, that Department of Justice who called them domestic terrorists, that same Department of Justice who is fully in line with the Canadian agenda as exercised by Justin Trudeau, Fidel Castro's bastard and Christia Freeland, the granddaughter of a Nazi, both of them working with George Soros. And we know that our Democrat Communist Party, our uniparty is fully enthralled to George Soros and to the central bankers. But yeah, all of it is probably just this disparate information that is being connected because I have a conspiratorial mind. We should just keep giving more power to government actors who we know are corrupt and just see what happens. You know, it's so much better than having that mean tweeting orange man in office. And I don't want to make today another 90 minute episode. So I'm going to wrap up with this story. This is from just the news uh, yesterday. Lawsuit claims Michigan election chief illegally accepted Zuckerberg money to swing 2020 election. A lawsuit filed against Democrat Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson asserts she illegally accepted private money for the 2020 presidential election to swing the election for President Joe Biden. The Chicago-based Thomas More Society filed the lawsuit in the Michigan Court of Claims, alleging Benson violated election law by spending private election funding on partisan purposes that denied Michigan voters constitutional equal access voting rights. The center square previously reported Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan contributed $400 million nationwide into the 2020 election through their Chicago based nonprofit, the center for technology and civic life. The 166 page filing claims that nearly half of CTCL's funds flowed to Democrat dominated areas where Biden won. For example, The lawsuit says CTCL made 19 payments exceeding $100,000, all to jurisdictions that Biden carried in 2020. The lawsuit cites an American public media report finding some cities spent little of the money on personal protective equipment. The Michigan legislature aims to ban private funding of public elections via Senate Bill 303, which Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed in 2021. I guess she wants more of that sweet, sweet Facebook money. Thomas Moore Society Special Counsel Thor Hearn said that Benson spent CTCL money to boost Democrat dominated areas in the 2020 election via increased mail-in voting and ballot harvesting. The Michigan Constitution guarantees every eligible citizen the right of equal protection when it comes to voting, and that means state officials may not put in place an election scheme that enhances the weight of votes cast by one class of voters or increases one favored class of voters' access to the ballot, Hearn said in a statement. That's just what happened here. Analysis of data that the Center for Tech and Civic Life provided to the Internal Revenue Service and other public records, demonstrates that this scheme was designed to favor urban areas in Michigan and to disadvantage Michigan voters in rural and suburban, more politically conservative areas. Hearn said the lawsuit aims to set the rules for future elections, not past elections. This case is not about relitigating the 2020 election, Hearn said. It's about making sure that these unfair and illegal activities cannot happen in any future election in Michigan. As Michigan's chief election official, Secretary Benson is responsible for ensuring that every eligible Michigan voter has an equal right and opportunity to cast a ballot. A CNN report says 11 Republican states have prohibited private money from funding public elections. Thomas Moore Society attorneys are representing Wisconsin voters in a similar lawsuit. The only way Michigan residents can stop a high-tech billionaire from California from directing the conduct of Michigan's 2022 election is for the Michigan voters and citizens to prevail in this case against Secretary of State Benson, Thomas Moore Society President and Chief Counsel Tom Brecha said in a statement. And so if you'll recall from way back in like November, December 2020, the Thomas More Society, that's Phil Klein. And Phil Klein gave an incredible press conference back then. It was like two hours long where he laid out the entire case against Facebook's manipulation of the election. He told the whole story of exactly how they did it. And of course, the media and everyone else in the global communist agenda, they all just ignored it completely. Everybody pretended that Phil Klein was some kind of conspiracy theorist. But now we have a 166 page lawsuit against one of George Soros's secretaries of state. And I would imagine this is just the beginning. You should note how many of those narratives that they tried to ignore and sweep under the rug and that everybody kind of forgot about, how they're all coming back now. And you can think that they're just. Small cases that will get kicked out of court, just small news items that aren't going to amount to anything. Or you could see it for what it is. We are reaching the endpoints of a lot of processes that took a very, very long time to develop for good reasons, because they don't want to lose. They want everything to work as it should. They need to take every single precaution before they make the moves forward. But now we are seeing those moves being made. And we're going to keep seeing them being made. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masked and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day. Download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm Your Moderator. You can find my writing at I'm Your and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel cotour. If you'd like to support the show financially, There is a crypto wallet address in the episode description or go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you again soon out on the ring. Go download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. It's noon! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.